0: at Paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic.
1: Yeah, we are up. Yeah, we got a busy day together. We got three podcasts we gotta knock out. I I was trying to think if we have have we ever done three in a day before? We've done three in a day one other time. So in the very
0: beginning I think we recorded the first Three or four. Yeah, we've done a triple
1: before. Um, getting kind of crazy.
0: All right, we're, we're we're experienced at this, and I'm not nearly as worried at
1: this. Yeah, point. I've got a, I've got so just because we've got Nevada, then we got Dr. Jay Wrigley, then we got George Henderson down from New Zealand later. But then at noon, I know I got to I got a bust stop to do a quick one hour consult, and then we'll get back in in one. So we got we got to knock. We got to keep these to about our fifteen a piece, I think today. Somewhere in there, I want to row. I got to get a I got to get a I get an I got to get a 500 meter row in there. I've already done my 300 push ups, so. Anyway, Nevada, it is a pleasure, and we are recording nevada 's pleasure having you on um, for you guys don 't know Nevada goes by the paleo pharmacist on instagram, and i 'm not sure where else you 're located, but you 've got just a really unique interesting story um, and you know i 'd like to get into that you know just, uh, just as a hint here, and you probably recognize what this is for you guys that Yes. Know, that is an mri and we 'll talk about that as we get into nevada 's story but um Tell us, for the listeners who don't know, a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you're from. You got this, this wonderful southern accent. You sound like you're from Georgia, I think. Is that right?
2: No. <laughs> oh, no. I'm actually um, from Massachusetts. Yeah,
1: I know. I'm just messing with you. you got that, that, that accent there. But, uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, where you, what your background is, and, and, and you know a little bit about your educational background. I know you're a pharmacist, and then we'll get into your, your story, and we'll talk about some of the other stuff as things pop up. You ready, Zach? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All
2: right. So, I grew up in um, Foxborough, Massachusetts. Uh, So, it's where the uh, New England Patriots, uh, home base for them, which is uh, what Foxborough is most known for, uh, right outside of Boston. And I, you know, grew up, just had a normal childhood, nothing too uh, dramatic happened. And I am a pharmacist and registered nurse. I also have a bachelor's degree in biochemistry. So that's my background. I've always been into science and, and into the arts and just love helping people. So it was natural for me to gravitate into science and, and in healthcare. And currently, right now I work as a community pharmacist in the community that I live in.
1: All right. Foxboro, home of the Patriots. You guys had you guys had a pretty good run. The Super Bowls over there. You had a pretty yes. good team up there. That's pretty yes. awesome.
0: I still haven't forgiven you yet for Super Bowl uh, 32. I'm a, from Wisconsin and Green Bay Packers fan.
1: Packers, man. Yes.
0: <laughs> or, I'm sorry. No, I should. I, I got that wrong. That was Denver we lost to. We beat you guys in Super Bowl 31, so I have, uh, I'm grateful for you. What I can't forgive you for is um, – what game was that? A couple of years ago, we had Aaron Rodgers injured, and a backup quarterback came in and almost beat you in the regular season. We ended up needing that win at the end of the year, I think, so –
2: Yes, there's so many to keep track of. <laughs> well, I remember when I was a kid, I,
1: I grew up in the Chicago area, so I was a Chicago bands, Bears fan, I, and I watched Walter Payton, who was one of my heroes, unfortunately, died of uh, uh, sclerosing. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, God, hepatic sclerosis. I can't remember the name of the disease now. Anyway, he died of a weird, weird liver disease, but he was always just getting his butt kicked being on the crappy Bears, and then finally in 85, Super Bowl shuffle comes on, and they beat the Patriots. For the Super Bowl. Can't remember what, 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 I can't remember what Super Bowl that was. It was in 85, whatever. It was something, 30-something, I think. Oh, in
2: 1984, I think.
1: Was it 84 85? I think it, was a,
2: I think it was 84.
1: Maybe it was the 84 season played in, could in be the wrong, 85 or something like that. I bet that's when it was. Because I remember I just moved from Chicago after spending all those years watching Chicago lose. Then I moved down to Texas, and, and then all of a sudden they win the Super Bowl. Okay, Nevada. So, so what I have behind me is a MRI. For most people, don't know this. People, you guys that are, that are listening aren't, aren't going to be able to see. This. this is a sagittal section of an MRI, which means you cut the body right down the middle, and you're looking at the side. And so we've got the little. I'm going oh, Can I point to it? Uh, do it a sign of green. I'm trying to be like a weatherman, right? You you, <laughs> the, the discs up here. These little these little things, and the vertebral bodies are below. And this, I'm gonna go that way. God, this is it's tough being a weatherman, I guess. So you get down there and you get down in this area and you see this di- this disc is just blown out, bulging right here. And it's pushing on this big structure on here. And this is called the cauda equina. And that translates to horse's tail. Cauda means kind of the tail end and equina is kind of, you hear about equestrian, so cauda equina. And so what happens is all the nerve roots come off the spinal cord. And they kind of hang down like a mop. And it's we call it the horse's tail, the cauda equina. And when that gets acutely pressed upon there are a few things in orthopedic surgery that are considered true emergencies and one of those is like you know, his these femurs stuck out in the leg you know then you got to you got to take them right over the OR, clean that out so it but this is something that people will suffer lifelong permanent paralysis from acutely and the answer to get is to get in there and take that pressure off there and Nevada you had that happen to you so why don't you tell us a story about that and then we can talk about you know, how your life has been and, and what it did to you. And then I know you've also had suffered from something called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which yes. is also a interesting topic. And, and let's just go, let's get into your story. It's fun stuff.
2: Sure. So essentially what happened was uh, my entire life, I've suffered with PCOS. So I was just a normal uh, patient that saw my doctor once a year, maybe maybe twice a year and just struggled with this condition PCOS every day on every diet known to man, training in the gym, standard American diet, just trying everything to navigate this condition. And besides that, I was a person that was in, you know, generally, you know, good health. I considered myself healthy uh, by the standard of healthy. And one day I just started not feeling well. And throughout the day, I just got progressively sicker and sicker and had a fever. My glands were swollen in my neck. So I went to my local hospital emergency room. And by the time I got to the emergency room, I felt so sick, I I thought I was gonna die. That's how sick I felt. And they thought I had meningitis. So I had a spinal tap done and a CAT scan. And long story short, I had a CSF leak from that spinal uh, tap, which is basically a little tear happens and the spinal fluid goes out where it's not supposed to, and you suffer an awful headache from that. So I required a blood patch and I was hospitalized. They couldn't quite figure out what was wrong with me, so I was discharged. And long story short, in an oversight um, and having to go into my own medical record, when I finally had access to it, I discovered that I had a case of mono, which was causing all of this. So after I had that spinal tap, I developed headaches and really bad back pain that was unrelenting. It wasn't going away. I was in and out of my doctor's office. I was doing physical therapy, and it just started to become to the point where it was debilitating, it was interfering with my ability to do my job. I work as a pharmacist, so I have to be on my feet for 12 hours. The headaches were unrelenting. And about a month before I had my massive disc herniation, I started having this ominous feeling, uh, started having uh, trouble going to the bathroom, started having weakness in my legs i I would just be standing and all of a sudden i'd have this weird sensation that my legs were going to give out and i would feel like i would have to sit down and went went into my doctor's office tested for everything and back pain just kept getting worse i was having trouble going to the bathroom i was thinking well do i have a kidney stone what what could possibly be going on had every test (laughs) oh sorry are you guys still there
0: Yeah, keep going. I'll just.
2: Okay. So had every task known to man and all of a sudden, um, everything came back normal. And all of a sudden I was at work one day and I just started getting the worst sciatic pain I had ever had in my life. It was shooting down my leg. I noticed my foot was getting lazy and I had to use a motorized cart at the end of my shift to get out to my car. So I thought, okay, I have one more day to work. I'm a person that never calls in sick. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to call my doctor and you know find out what is going on. Long story short, I woke up the next morning, went to get out of bed and fell. I was paralyzed from the waist down. I had incontinence of my bladder and I was panicking. I knew something was seriously wrong, and the first thing I thought of was I need to get to a high-level medical center, which my local hospital, I knew they, there was something seriously wrong. They weren't going to be able to handle the situation, so I started going down my phone list and my cell phone calling everybody on the telephone until somebody finally answered and could come to my house. Took forever to get into the car because I was unable to walk at this point, so I had to be carried. Went to the highest level uh, emergency medical center that was in my area, which was about 25 minutes away. And the paramedics at the hospital had to get me out of the car. Because I was unable to walk, I was you know, incontinent of my bladder everywhere. And the emergency room physician recognized immediately there was something wrong with my spinal cord. So I went up for an emergency MRI. And by the time I came out of the emergency MRI, there was an ambulance waiting to take me to the next highest level medical center, and that's the first time I heard the term Aquinas syndrome, and the herniation was so large, they weren't sure if it was a tumor, if it was an actual disc herniation, so that was undetermined at the time until I could get to the, a higher level medical center, and they moved, everything moved very quickly. I was in the worst pain I had ever experienced in my life. It was absolutely excruciating. I was numb from the waist down. I had no reflexes. It felt, the only way to describe it is when a limb goes to sleep and then it stays asleep and you start to have pain. It was just, I just couldn't really feel anything. Um, You know, the physicians were touching my legs and asking me if I felt anything. Uh, They turned me over to my side. One of the reflexes that they test is, um, you know, in your In your anal area, I was not able to even feel any of that. I had complete saddle anesthesia. I knew I was going paralyzed at that point. I accepted morphine, uh, which I've never had any medication like that in my entire life. I was in so much pain and I was told that I needed to have emergency surgery uh, to decompress my spinal cord, that they believed that the disc herniation was emanating from my L5-S1 uh, the L4 was obscured, so they weren't sure if that was also involved, but it was definitely the um, the L5S1. So I was told I would need emergency surgery. So I was taken into surgery, and I was with it enough to make sure the attending physician would be doing my surgery. Um, and went in and all my neurosurgeon did was a microdiscectomy because my spinal structure was perfect and he didn't wanna do anything to uh, disrupt that because um, I'm, I was young, he didn't wanna do a fusion, laminectomy, it, it wasn't necessary. So he meticulously picked all of the disc fragments off of my quad everything that he could get to safely. And then I, spent an excruciating night in the hospital, unsure if I would ever walk again. They were not sure what was gonna happen. I was still unable to feel a lot of my legs, uh, my feet, still having a lot of numbness. And um, it it was just an extremely scary situation for me. Um, It was the worst 24 hours of my life.
1: I can't imagine what was going through your mind you wake up you're in a puddle of your own urine and you can't walk and all of a sudden you're paralyzed. I mean, that's got to be absolutely a terrifying, terrifying experience. You know, I just, I just, you know, it's, it's just, you know, to think that that can happen, you know, outside of trauma, because normally we associate this stuff with, with significant trauma that, that usually causes us acute paralysis, but this is one of these very weird situations. And so uh, talk to us a little bit about some, so, so you have the surgery, you wake up, you're still in pain. Tell us a little bit about what, what happens next.
2: So the next thing that happened is actually when I woke up from my surgery and I was able to have a conversation with my neurosurgeon, he was very encouraging. He, the first thing he said to me was, I believe you can have a full recovery. I did not see nerve death. This is going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done in your life. but I believe a full recovery is possible. There was a lot of swelling. I was on high dose steroids after my surgery. Uh, They were doing everything they could to save my quad equina. So he, that's the first thing that was instilled in me. So I thought, okay, I can recover from this. I had, I had hope, even though my body was, Telling me something completely different, that's the one thing I, I was clinging on to. I was in the hospital for about a week, week and a half, waiting for my bladder to come back. It did come back. I ended up getting sensory and motor back in my left leg, which was it was still weak, but it was back. My right leg was the leg that was most severely affected. I had right foot drop. I was unable to feel the entire side of my right leg and based on where the the nerve roots come out, there are dermatomes. So areas of the skin on the leg that are innervated by those nerves. So my L5 S1 was the most severely affected. So that entire dermatome, I was numb and uh, lacked either sensory or motor along that. It was was a combination um, of the, of the injury. So Long story short, I was able to, through PT and evaluation, get myself discharged home because at this point I just wanted to go home and I wanted to recover in my own home. So I was discharged home with services. So I had an aide that came uh, to help me with bathing because I was unable to get in and out of the bathtub, all the things you take for granted. I had to have durable medical equipment come in into my home, have my entire bathroom set up. I had a grabber because they couldn't pick anything up off the ground. I had a walker, a cane, all sorts of devices to be able to walk. I had a a visiting nurse and a, a physical therapist that came to my home. My mom was there every single day checking on me. Everything that you take for granted, cooking, going to the bathroom, just walking from the bed to the couch was a was an absolute challenge because i was so weak in my legs from the waist down and my neurosurgeon told me when i got home he said under no circumstances google this condition so the first thing i did sean was i googled this condition (laughs) and that was the worst day that was my absolute rock bottom i did not see anything positive about this Uh, the patient testimonials that I was able to find nobody was recovering. There was chronic pain, chronic paralysis. So of course I paged my neurosurgeon in a panic. And I said, you, you know, I I said to him, like you said, I was gonna have a full recovery. You know, I'm reading this. And he's like, I told you not to Google this. So I just had a complete breakdown. That was my rock bottom, which I think anyone with, with a diagnosis like this would have a you know, a breakdown over it. And I was talking to a friend, my friend said, why don't you just go on YouTube and find people that beat the odds and, you know, find something to encourage yourself. So I did that and I found Shawn Stevenson who had cured himself from degenerative disc and spine disease with fitness and nutrition. That was my first um, moment of hope in the entire situation. So I saw that he had a strategy for, how he went about curing himself. So the next thing I did was I went on PubMed and I looked at the literature for Aquinas syndrome. And there really is not much literature on this because it's an extremely rare condition. Uh, it's one in a hundred thousand. So there's not a large patient population to study. Most patients aren't studied past two years. And what is studied is time to surgery. So optimal time for surgery and recognition, which is is within that first 24 hours. And they looked at bladder recovery. I was diagnosed and classified as acute Aquinas syndrome with urinary retention. So I had urinary retention with um, incontinent overflow because I was unable to feel the sensation of having uh, to go to the bathroom uh, with this. So as my bladder was gradually uh, coming back, I was starting to get back some motor and sensory as the swelling was going down in my cord. I was working with my uh, physical therapist, and I looked and I saw, okay, there's not really much in the literature, so what is my strategy going to be? So I looked at what Sean Stevenson did. He used restorative sleep. He used hydration. He used nutrition, and he started correcting muscle imbalances. So that's where I started with my strategy to somewhat feel in control and empowered in my situation. And then I started looking at what he also did, which is he extrapolated the science that was known and applied it to himself. So I started looking at neurodegenerative conditions, uh, spinal cord injury with an actual cord injury, uh, there's slight differences in, in the tissue. So peripheral nerves, which the quad is, were capable of regeneration. So I started looking at the literature as far as nerve regeneration and, uh, conditions such as MS, conditions um, that peripheral neuropathies, other uh, types of nerve injuries, and looking to see under what conditions can these nerves regenerate. And while there's a lot of complex mechanisms and it's, it's still being worked out, I came across the ketogenic diet in Vanessa Spina. I happened to find her on Google. And I thought, I have to start implementing the, the ketogenic diet because I was naturally craving fats and proteins. I w- and I was craving the um, restorative sleep. I was exhausted after this. I wasn't hungry as much. And when I was hungry, I wanted the fats and proteins. So this, w- these were my body's signals for what I needed to do to heal myself, which is what I listened to. So I started implementing restorative sleep. I started, um hydrating with water because the discs have no blood supply and the annulus my annulus that held my disc in place had ripped from side to side so that can take up to 18 months to two years to heal uh, according to my neurosurgeon and, and what i had read in the literature so i needed to also feed myself the raw materials necessary for the healing so that they could get to my disc and spine through the diffusion Uh, the hydration and restorative sleep. So that's what I started instituting uh, with that. And I started doing the ketogenic diet and I felt like my entire life depended on doing this diet correctly. So I reached out to Vanessa Spina, who graciously helped me implement a ketogenic diet for my, uh, for my injury.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And we've had Vanessa on the show. She goes yes. by a ketogenic girl. I can't remember yes. her a while back. She, she's great. We really like, really like Vanessa. She's doing some great stuff. But, you know, some of your comments I'll just comment on because, you know, we see yes. with things like with MS in particular, if we look at animal studies, we see that animals that are able to remyelinate their fibers. And that's one of the issues with MS is, is demyelination that occurs. And the myelin is the sort of the protective insulating fat based sheath. It's kind of like an insulating cable that goes around the wire. Uh, on a nerve you can think about that way and so the the fat kind of protects that nerve and allows for something called saltatory conduction where we can we can we can move rapidly across the thing using using different uh uh ions sodium sodium channels and whatnot and so what we see is in the literature with animal studies that animals that have ms are unable to remyelinate unless they are provided exogenous cholesterol which means you got to take some cholesterol in your food, so you're not going to get it on a plant-based diet, and so that's very interesting, at least in animal studies, and so it's just an interesting observation. Um, you know, the fact that you were had had the foresight to say I need to get to a high-level center of care because you're right. If you go to a little bitty hospital, they're most likely not going to have a neurosurgeon on call, and this is a situation that requires you know get in there, get it done as soon as possible. The quicker you can decompress those nerves. The, the, the greater the chance of recovery so I'm glad you got in fairly quickly but but anyway so now you now you've decided to adopt the ketogenic diet and wh- how far along into it were you and where were you at from a from a nerve recovery standpoint when you decided to implement ketogenic diet
2: I implemented the ketogenic diet within I would say two to three weeks um, after my surgery because I wasn't quite sure where to start with my resources because quadripleinus syndrome is a rare condition. So anyone diagnosed with a rare condition can attest to this. It's extremely uh, difficult to navigate how you're going to recover or how you're going to manage living with something like this without information. So that's where I started extrapolating the data. I saw that the ketogenic diet was uh, neuroprotective also uh, preserved motor function and um, some of the literature. So I started it almost you know within a few weeks of, of my injury. At that point, I didn't have the information that I have now regarding uh, plants and the carnivore diet. So I did a very high fat diet. I was around 80 to 90% fat because my body was just craving it and craving the protein. And one of the mistakes that I feel I made early on and and given in hindsight, I definitely would have been eating more protein, but I felt that I needed to restrict my protein based on what was in the literature regarding a therapeutic ketogenic diet. Um, What I used was extrapolated from epilepsy, which I think is one of the only instances where the ketogenic diet is used in standard of care. Um, for for epilepsy. So I looked to see what was being used there. Uh, So that's what I implemented in my own own recovery uh, using Vanessa's uh, program. And I kept just repeating days in her program that were the highest protein and highest fat that I could get. And I also implemented intermittent fasting because I still had some disc material that my neurosurgeon was unable to get to. So I was trying to induce autophagy in my body so my body could absorb that disc material uh, because it that was a huge mental barrier for me to get over because i felt that there was still a time bomb in my back because it was critical that the annulus healed so i was very conscious of how i was moving because i was afraid i was going to herniate l4 which had a central bulge it hadn't let go yet but it had a central bulge that uh, they were trying to correct with physical therapy and also my annulus wasn't completely healed and I still had some disc left in my L5-S1. So if that came out again, I I didn't want to risk having quad alquina syndrome. So that was a huge barrier for me to, come over, to overcome in, in my physical therapy was just to be able to move. Plus, I had the foot drop, so I had this gate where I had to swing my leg, and it was so heavy. I would have to swing my leg, and it was slapped down just to be able to, to walk, which made it challenging walking with a walker because the walker was in the way for the way that I had to uh, swing my leg, uh, especially in, in the first you know, part of my recovery
0: Nevada, this has been very interesting. Kind of explaining the kind of the physical side of of your journey back to health, and I, I want to dive a bit, mm-hmm. kind of into the mindset of this. And um, just before I ask the question, I for our listeners, if you're interested, of uh, Vanessa was our episode fifty-eight. So if you want to hear kind of her her uh, journey into the keto keto diet and kind of how she got started, that's the one to kind of tune into. Um, but it 's pretty cool that you were able to connect with her and, and glean so much from that from the nutritional side. Um, but on the mental side, when you explain your story and kind of just the level of uh, work and time and energy that you're going to need to kind of essentially restructure your entire life, overhaul your house to accommodate your needs, um, you know you you maybe have like this light at the end of the tunnel where your neurosurgeon told you that you could make full recovery. So, you know, it's a possibility. You don't have a a self-defeating prophecies, you know, right, right at the beginning, which I think is great. But you know, where, what I'm interested in is when you have a journey that long, I think like sometimes from the mindset, you, you can kind of think of like, okay, I want to get back to full steam, but knowing that could take an incredible long time. You don't even know what that is. How do you kind of compartmentalize in the day to day to think like, okay, I'm making progress uh, towards what I ultimately want to be, but I also need to recognize small improvements so that I can stay motivated and stay positive.
2: Yes, yeah, so what I did was my neurosurgeon told me that he believed what would come back would come back within the first year, and he based that on the literature that the peripheral nerves can regenerate at two to five millimeters a day, depending on the size of, of the nerves. The larger nerves were around five millimeters, the smaller nerves were around two millimeters. So I'm, I'm a person that's five, four. So we calculated it would be about 406 days for these nerves to regenerate. So my mindset was every day, I'm going to optimize myself, keep myself in nutritional ketosis I broke up my activity throughout the course of the day. So rather than do a prolonged activity with the physical therapy exercises, especially the exercises for the foot drop, because I had to be all over that. Um, I, I refused to have a brace because I wanted, I didn't want my body to become dependent on anything. So I used special sneakers with an orthotic that helped keep my foot in the up position. While I was correcting muscle imbalances, and gradually over the course of the first, I would say four to six months, the motor and sensory gradually started coming back. Um, By by around four months, I was starting to feel pretty good. I was walking um, with and without a cane, um, and I was, you know, gradually weaning myself off of that device with a goal of being able to go back to work so what i did was i just broke up my activity throughout the day so every hour on the hour that i was awake i would go and walk for as long as possible and then i would do my exercises so this way it wouldn't fatigue my muscles and put me at risk for injury so i would go until my muscles would start to fatigue and then i would rest and i would you know, spend time on YouTube and and read literature, uh, spend time with my friends and family, prepare my meals, uh, you know, things like that. And gradually, I just built up my endurance and, and just built myself up. So every day that I went a minute longer in activity was a win for me. To keep my mind positive, I cut out all negativity in my life. I just sent out a group text to everybody that I knew I just said I'm sorry at this time in my life you know please don't take offense if I don't return your phone calls um, I'm going you know through this this is through something this is my one chance at recovering from this everything I put in my mouth I thought could this be damaging my nerves so every item of food that I put in my mouth I felt my life depended on it, it was required for my healing I put myself on a strict schedule I was making sure I was getting my you know, all the sleep that I needed um, and just really focused on the mindset component. I had, I discovered Joe Dispenza who had healed himself from a back injury himself. And he talked a lot about visualization. So I spent a lot of time visualizing myself running, visualizing myself walking on the beach. I used mirroring therapy because there was some literature in uh, phantom limb pain in rewiring the brain network to get my right foot going. So at the rehab and at home, I would put a mirror, I would sit with a mirror and I would look down at my left foot and it would mirror as if it was my right foot. And I would do all sorts of exercises with my left foot, which did not have foot drop to try to wake up my, my right foot. So I spent hours doing this, trying to get my, my nerves to wake up and, and rewire themselves so this was kind of my mindset so i just put myself on a daily schedule and i would monitor my my progress so every day was a a win for me i was so determined that i was going to recover from this and i set as a goal to be able to run a 5k by the end of that year this happened in january of uh, 2016 the beginning of the year so i set as a goal i want to be able to participate in this 5k i used to enjoy running So I set this as a goal, built my endurance, told my physical therapist, this is what I want to do. And I had a vision board. I created a vision board of my recovery, uh, which my physical therapist, my home-based physical therapist had me do. So I had this on my refrigerator. So I always kept in, in front of me what my vision was for my recovery and what I wanted my life to be. So I knew what I was working towards. And I, just had my why in front of me at all times. So this this was what I did to keep myself positive and to keep myself empowered during this entire process.
1: Hey, Nevada, I want to, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get into, but sure. I want to back up a little bit because you mentioned restorative sleep. And, you know, that that's an adjective that, I mean, most people just think sleep, sleep, and it should be restored. But can you just a little bit go into that Cause for people who haven't heard about that before? Because I think, I do think sleep is an, is an important part of, lifestyle in general, but probably also for the recovery process. So talk to us a little bit about by, by what you meant by when you said restorative sleep. Yes,
2: yeah, so it's the deepest level of sleep that you can get into. And I honestly have to refresh myself on all the terms with the science. Uh, but what I did was I purchased the book that Sean Stevenson wrote regarding the topic called Sleep Smarter, and I instituted his protocol in there. So I made sure I was, I was sleeping in, in a very deep, Uh, the deepest possible sleep that promoted my immune system and for healing. So I had the black blackout shades. Um, I had a really good sleep hygiene uh, program before I would go to bed. I I had no devices, dim the lights, any, you know, increase my melatonin secretion. And I would just sleep a good eight to 12 hours. I, I was a person that normally prior to this would sleep maybe four to six hours a night. That was just my natural sleep cycle. But after this happened, I was exhausted and I realized that's one of my body's cues to be able to heal itself is is to sleep. So that's that's what I mean by the restorative sleep. And and it's important, Uh, one of the, this is an instance where I did use medication because I was having spasticity uh, in my legs, which is uh, Charlie horses. So my muscle spasms were the worst at night. And I embraced them because it, it meant that my nerves were alive and they were working uh, themselves out. But sometimes they would become unbearable, so I did use Valium um, as needed for the first two years of my recovery.
1: Let me ask you—you um, you know, I mean, the sleep stuff. Uh, we, so, you know, you you get through the ketogenic, you're doing you're doing the recovery. You know, one of the things you, you mentioned was the uh, you know the annulus, which for those who don't know is this little. See if I can point back to my thing. This little this little part that surrounds like the black the black part that surrounds the the disc, and then inside there is water or the nucleus pulposus, which is hydrated. And when we see people get older, and the disc starts to deteriorate we lose we, we lose a lost of water signal in there so it's just it should be like juicy like a grape in there kind of you know with the skin around it, if you want to think of it like that like a shock absorber but um tell me about your diet and stuff preceding this because you know in in my view I think that one of the reasons this may have occurred may have been just a result of you know a particular dietary strategy that we sometimes do we just don't know any better and I think that what we eat affects our tissues and maybe this contributed to this, but tell me about your diet before and then let's get on to kind of how you've continued to progress.
2: Sure. So my diet prior to that, when I was in uh, nursing school trying to uh, manage my PCOS was a standard American diet. I was following everything that I was learning in nursing school and just became progressively more and more ill. I was gaining weight at a pre-diabetes diagnosis about a year before You say
1: standard American diet. Most people think of it's a junk food, garbage diet. What What do you mean by standard American diet in that context? The American,
2: the American food pyramid, food food pyramid
1: recommendations. Okay.
2: Yes, the food pyramid recommendations that was learning in nursing school, uh, nutrition class. So that's what I was following to the T, because I thought, oh, I'm in nursing school. I'm, you know, I'm going to follow exactly what the recommendations are to try to alleviate my polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I was implementing what I was learning in nursing school.
1: So that's like healthy whole grains, low fat fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. lean meats, a little bit of dairy. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that typically where you, where you were at then?
2: Pretty much. I was, I was eating uh, salads, yogurt, oatmeal, uh, the grains, the, the wheat bread sandwiches. And I just started gaining weight every year. Uh, wasn't losing. I was working out at the gym all the time. I thought I was living a healthy lifestyle and and I just, I felt, um, you know, fat, sick and exhausted all the time. And I was starting to get discouraged because every year I'd go for my physical, I I would have a weight gain. And then a year before my disc herniation, I had a prediabetes diagnosis from the polycystic ovarian syndrome. And my doctor had recommended we'll possibly go on a low carb diet. That might be something to that and I had done um, the Atkins diet in my early 20s and felt amazing. Uh, this was my first year of college before life happened and everything got really busy and I went back to the um, standard American diet. But I felt really good on Atkins and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna do the Atkins low carb diet and then I had discovered the paleo diet, hired a trainer at the gym to help me because I thought, well, maybe I'm just training wrong and I ended up losing about 50 pounds, which it was a hard 50 pounds to lose.
0: Now for a word from our sponsors. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox offers you convenience by delivering your meat right to your door with free shipping. They also offer quality by having options such as 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, heritage-breed pork, and free-range chicken. They also offer value with their goal to make clean meat accessible to as many people as possible by partnering with a collective of small farms. They are able to deliver you the best products for less than $6 per meal. They often run promos on their website for subscribers to get things like free pork or free bacon. If you enter promo code HPO at checkout, you can also knock an additional $20 off your first subscription. So head over to butcherbox.com and place your first order. Now back to the show. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting just kind of just noticing what what happens when changes kind of occurred with nutrition, albeit maybe not necessarily planned. They sometimes surface some results that you, that you got from other things that you maybe didn't connect. Um, But but it sounds like uh, in general, you're a very kind of detail oriented person um, and likely why you found yourself doing what you're doing now versus, you know, loathing life maybe, or in a, in a worse situation, has that always kind of been your outlook or was this situation or this experience you've had kind of, like thrust you into that sort of mindset?
2: Um, I've always had that, that outlook. I, I've always been a, a science person. I've always been a person that had to have a strategy, very organized person that would take information that I thought might apply to me and implement it. So I've always, I've always had that approach to life. I've always been, you know, very, very happy person. Um, you know, just happy, happy with life. I, you know, this experience, it did change my outlook a lot regarding the American healthcare system. And that's why I shared my story with the hopes that it may be a key to help somebody else in their, um, in their search for healing themselves. So my mindset has kind of changed a lot regarding that based on the information I have now. Yeah, I like it. to five years ago.
1: I like to uh gripe about the American healthcare system as well, but I do think in this particular situation there was some sort of victory in this because you you know, you did get that spinal decompression done very rapidly, yes. which I think is a yes. thing in the favor of our system. And so we do have some good things about it. We just suck at treating chronic disease, I think. Okay, yes. so now let's fast forward a bit because you're a carnivore now. You're kinda of one of, yes. you're in this crazy carnivore camp with me and some of these other wackos that are out there just eating meat. So talk about what propelled you to do that, what's been your experience, and then I want to get into the PCOS stuff because that's had an impact on that as well. Okay?
2: Yes, absolutely. So what propelled me to go full carnivore uh, was your appearance on the Joe Rogan show. Um, At first, when I heard it, I had been a closet carnivore prior to that. I noticed I was eating – I was actually – what I considered cheating on Vanessa's program, I was eating more protein than what I should have been eating. I was eating more fat, but I noticed I was feeling really good. I was getting a really good result. And then I would go long periods of time without having a vegetable. And I thought, oh, I need to have a vegetable. Um, Cause I was so conditioned that we had to eat vegetables. So I would, you know, eat some vegetables. And then I saw you on Joe Rogan and I had heard a little bit about the carnivore diet, and I just decided at first I thought, well, this is a little crazy, but then I thought, well, this is what I'm doing anyway. I feel great. I'm just at this point, I'm just gonna go with it. So I started learning more about it, implementing, and then felt liberated when you said, no tracking, just eat, eat to satiety, eat, eat to your body's natural hunger signals. So I thought, okay, I'm not gonna track. I, you know, I, I have to be in ketosis because I'm, I'm going zero carbs. So I'm not going to worry about this. And I just started eating and I used what you were doing, Sean, as a model. So I started eating a lot of steak. I, uh, when my budget was low, I would use ground beef, started adding eggs in because I love steak and eggs. So steak and eggs have been a huge staple of my carnivore lifestyle. The one of the things I noticed immediately within months of going carnivore, which is about a year and a half in, into my recovery, was I felt less stiff. I was having less back flare-ups because for a majority of the time I was, uh, I tried to keep myself pain and medication-free and by medication-free I meant going without having to use the Valium at night. So I would try to go as long as I could uh, with, with with that. So. I noticed immediately I was less stiff in the morning. I had increased flexibility. I noticed I was moving better. I noticed my motor and sensory felt better as they started coming back. And this wasn't an overnight process. It was gradually over the course of, I would say, you know, a year around, you know, the two year, two and a half year mark. So I started feeling really, really good. I started feeling stronger and I noticed my skin was getting better. I was someone that had chronic eczema my whole life. My eczema was, my, was disappearing. I was sleeping 100% better. I was, as a side effect, losing weight. I was developing muscle for the first time in my life. I was starting to get muscle definition. And I just felt an overall sense of well-being. My digestive issues, which I thought were related to the quadra Aquinas Syndrome, because uh, I w- I, would feel, um, I would feel like I would have a slow transit time, so I was having trouble with constipation I thought it was related to my back surgery. That completely resolved itself. So I realized that it was essentially the diet that I may have been eating that was contributing to that and not a side effect of my back surgery. So that was a relief uh with that I noticed my hair skin and nails were the best they ever were I noticed my menstrual cycle regulated so all these wonderful things I, I noticed were were happening as I instituted this
1: yeah that's good stuff so let's let's uh because I remember a lot when I first started you you're still having a little bit of residual numbness in your feet is, is that still there yeah. is that still a little bit there
2: so what has come back? I'm now three years and, uh, what is it, we're in May. So three years and almost five months out from, from this. I have everything back except for my uh, two toes that are next to my big toe. Those, I um, unfortunately on my right foot, I can't feel, move. Um, you could cut them off, I wouldn't even know. Uh, so that's the only thing that hasn't come back. I do have sometimes flare ups if my legs get too cold. I do notice I have um, some sensory issues. You know, I'll have that numbness come back. Um, If I move the wrong way or if I train, you know, too hard, it's a sign from my body if I feel um, that flare up a little bit. So I just keep an eye on it. Uh, But for the most part, I have full sensory motor. My legs are the same size. I'm able to jog. My foot drop has resolved. Um, I do have some weakness in that ankle still, which I still, you know, work on with the foot exercises, but for the most part, I consider myself as fully recovered from this as, as you possibly can be.
1: What is your, have you been back to see the neurosurgeon and has he had any sort of uh, commentary on this?
2: Um, I only see him if I have a problem with my back. So I I see my primary care doctor once a year for my physical, and I only call him if I have a problem with my back or I feel I need to be seen or if I'm having quad alquina symptoms, but I'm discharged from his care.
1: Does, uh, so let's, at this point, I'm glad it's good to hear. He's good not have to see the surgeon anymore. Let's talk a little bit about PCOS, because there's a lot of women out there that suffer from PCOS, and a lot of guys don't know what it is. So if you can describe what it is, and what's been your experience with it so far?
2: Sure. So PCOS is essentially, um, it's a constellation of symptoms, but primarily it's cysts that cover the ovaries and cause all sorts of endocrine uh, disorders, which is basically high androgens. So you have symptoms of a lot of unpleasant cosmetic symptoms. Irregular menstrual cycles, weight gain, um, hirsutism. Uh, some women have balding, uh, male, male pattern balding. Um, so it, it predisposes you to metabolic conditions such as diabetes, high cholesterol, uh, you know, and also high blood pressure, the whole constellation of metabolic syndrome uh, that goes along with that. And there's a component of insulin resistance.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some people that make the argument, and I'm probably in that camp, that that it's probably the opposite. It's probably that the development of insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome will probably predispose you to PCOS, in my view. And there's probably a male – there's also probably a male version of that, which probably some people consider things like uh, uh, benign prosthetic hypertrophy, hair loss in males, and some of these other symptoms, male – and, you know, same thing body fat with males. They get a similar condition, so it may be related. So talk to us about – because you've had – you know, you've actually put up – because you had you know, uh, ultrasounds, it clearly showed you had cysts on your ovary and then all of a sudden they're completely gone now. And that's since you went carnivore, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes. Yes. I had, uh, prior to my back surgery, I had an ultrasound. So this was around 2015 and I had cysts on my ovaries and I had a pre-diabetes diagnosis. I was at my heaviest weight. I was around 220 pounds and I'm only 5'4". So I, I was, you know, had a diagnosis of obesity. They had, they have that listed in my chart. Um, so with that, I, after everything settled down with the quad syndrome, I went back, I had um, transferred all my care over into the medical center that diagnosed me with quad syndrome, syndrome, uh, because I just wanted everything over there where I had been treated because of their affiliation with the higher level medical center. Uh, where I had my surgery and I saw an OBGYN and they did an ultrasound just to, you know, as a baseline to check everything. And to my surprise, there were no cysts on my ovaries. And I had always had, you know, cysts on my ovaries. And because I was so concerned about walking again, Sean, I had forgotten about the PCOS. So I wasn't even really thinking about it anymore. It was not the forefront of my mind. So when I was told I didn't have the cysts on my ovaries, that's when I attributed it to going uh, zero carb because I realized I must be really, really sensitive to carbohydrates and plants.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I just, I'm just thinking about the healthcare dollars that were spent on you. And and, and, I mean, obviously you needed this stuff at the time, but I mean, much of it could have been prevented, you know, probably the surgical decompression, the rehab stay. I mean, all the treatment post-op, the PT was probably in the order of a hundred plus thousand dollars, probably the, Studies you've had, medications, I mean, you probably spent a couple hundred grand on, you know, I mean, obviously insurance covers a lot of it. I mean, that's healthcare expenditures. It probably almost all of them might have been avoidable, I think, had we been on a, on a, on a non-standard diet, you know, on, on a, a diet like this from the beginning. But, um, you know, again, that's just the system we're in until people kind of figure this out. We're going to be just pouring money down the drain, paying for this stuff.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it I think yeah. a lot of it is just um, a lack of knowledge and a, a sure. lack of education
1: well it's a lack of knowledge from the from yeah. the healthcare community on, on the impact of nutrition on, on chronic and, and acute medical disease, medical problems certainly um, so now and you were when did you go back to work in the middle of this because I mean obviously when you just you just got paralyzed you weren't probably working the next week I mean when did work start get back to this and then tell me about um, did anybody like start? What's been the response to people around you that have seen? a kind of a, I mean, you were two twenty back then, and now you're very slim. You know, you're you're much leaner now. So somebody's had to notice what's going on. They're saying maybe they're like, wow, maybe if I get caught in a quantity too, I can lose a lot of weight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, um, well, currently my current weight is one hundred twenty seven pounds, which is the lowest weight that I have ever been, and I went back to work around. I want to say between the three to six month mark, uh, once I had built up my endurance to be able to stand uh, for my shift, uh, which I did have to take breaks. They did put um, an overlapping pharmacist with me when I first went back for the first few months, um, just as I built up endurance to be able to um, stand during my shift, uh, which I was able to do. And um, I'm sorry, what was the other question, John, was about the transformation?
1: Well, I'm just wondering what the people that, that, that around you at work, you know, they had have noticed you dropped hundred pounds. I mean, you know, I mean, and, and I'm surprised you were 127 pounds when you were a baby, your mom must've really struggled with that one. <laughs> just kidding.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yep. Yeah. So people ask me, you know, what, what is it that I was doing? And most people uh, knew I was doing the ketogenic diet because I, I was a, I became a strong advocate for, for that way of eating. Um, and now I just, let people know i do the carnivore diet most people are very intrigued by it um and and what it is so i just explain what it is why i do it uh which is you know to protect my nerves and to continue with my recovery and also that i just feel good on it i'm a person that has um i had a constellation of food allergies i I was anaphylaxis to tree nuts and shellfish I had trouble eating certain fruits, my my lips would uh, swell up certain vegetables, I noticed that I would have worse eczema when I would eat. Also, um, I tested positive for a gluten allergy. So I knew I was allergic to that. So I had a variety of food allergies. So going to this elimination diet is the best I've ever felt, you know, in my life. So I, I just give People the rationale for why I personally do this and what my personal choice is and, and what some of the science is. And then people that are further interested, I, I give them resources in, in the carnivore community to learn more about it.
0: Has the medical you. team that you've been working with been pretty curious or open-minded about that approach or how, what, have, what has been their kind of reaction to it?
2: Um, my new my new primary care physician that I had af- after this he um, he's happy with my recovery. I go in once a year for physical. Uh, he knows I do the carnivore diet, and he basically just checks my blood pressure, my heart, uh, does a neuro test on me, and sends me on my on my way. Right now I'm uh, pain and medication free. I take absolutely no medication.
1: that has got to be a great feeling after going through all that. Hey, let me ask you. Let me back up to you know you're on the Vanessa Spina uh ketogenic good diet i mean you know you're you're fighting for your life basically for your for your recovery and your function i assume you're not eating uh candy bars and keto snacks and all that stuff and, no. so what were you including in your diet that would be healthy food that you've dropped now as a carnivore because most people will say well if you're not eating grains and sugar and, and seed oils you're good but i mean i would assume you know if you're on a on a healthy ketogenic diet well let's talk about what were you eating then and, and what did you have to drop to go carnivore uh to get the the improvements in the back pain and the other improvements you got?
2: Well, with her program, she always included a dessert. So I wasn't really into the ketogenic puddings or the ketogenic cakes and and all of that stuff. I did have a sugar addiction prior to that. But after my injury, that craving just went away. Um, I didn't really crave that. So basically what I was having was uh, eggs and bacon or um, eggs and steak, the steak with the sauce. As far as vegetables, the ones that I would eat would be, I would add some cauliflower in, I'd add some asparagus, I would add spinach, which we now know with oxalates. Um, I I had no idea about oxalates until I started looking at Sally Norton and and reading um, literature on Georgia Eads website so in hindsight, I wonder how much that contributed. Uh, but I was, you know, eating, uh, the spinach, the asparagus, I would have cauliflower, all, all the keto vegetables. I would try to add that in, uh, with the meal, but to keep my total carbs under 20. So I would add in just enough to keep my carbs, um, less than 20, but most of the time I would, uh, she had a pork chop recipe. So I would add in pork, uh, I'd add in butter, you know, Mostly the meals that kept repeating uh, the, the higher meat and fat, which were the, the meals that I would gravitate towards. So I was only really eating five meals, the same thing over and over, which kept it very simple for me. And, and I felt good on it. I was getting a really good result
1: those damn uh cauliflowers i want to put cauliflower in a rice cauliflower i never thought that stuff tasted very good quite honest, i said just give me some real damn rice i mean <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway so it's interesting yeah i mean you know maybe there's some goitrogens in the cauliflower and some you know i don't know if they have, have oxygen we have to get sally back on there to talk about that but you know there's some lectins and blah 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 all the stuff we've been yapping about you know so now you are carnivore you've been doing this for i don't know what about a year now that, if i'm not mistaken
2: over yeah
1: yeah a little over a year yeah. and you, you know you are you're a pretty good advocate for that you're up there on instagram talking about the carnivore diet let me ask you how does that job and what you do as a pharmacist because as a pharmacist you're just you're just handing out the pills and mm-hmm. you know do you get in there and, and do you ever see like somebody come up and you're like damn if you just go on a damn better diet you would not need like 10 of those pills how does that how does that work with you at work do you ever do you ever get a chance to you know i don't know where you work what the situation is and i imagine the pharmacy companies don't, would probably frown upon you saying, "Don't take drugs; just go eat meat instead." But how, how does that work at work? Tell me about that.
2: Uh, so, I have a responsibility to my patients to make sure that they have the best resources and the best information based on their individual. Uh, healthcare choices. So several physicians in my community have been advocating for their patients to try the ketogenic diet. So I have been getting more consultations regarding that because patients are unsure where to start. So I do provide resources on that. Most of what I do in my position is I do a lot of patient education. So a lot of patients are on, they're newly diagnosed either with diabetes or a a chronic condition, and they're not really sure what the condition entails or they're overwhelmed with, with the different medications and, and the standard of care. So I educate them on what the standard of care is. I always add in a lifestyle component uh, for diet um, and nutrition. And then ultimately it's the patient's decision on what they choose to go with and how they wanna manage their condition. So based on that, based on their dietary choices, it's my responsibility to get them the best resources so that they're getting the best nutrition based on their individual choices. If people are interested in the carnivore diet, which I actually have had some carnivore diet questions uh, recently, actually there was a, uh, a gentleman that just came up to my counter. He was uh, just shopping in the store and he had seen you on YouTube, Sean. And he asked me, he's like, hey, do you know about this Sean Baker guy and you know this meat diet? So of course I had resources on that. So I, you know I gave him resources so he could educate and empower himself. But that that's my approach um, as a healthcare provider. Is it's ultimately up to the patient what they what they choose to do. Um, but I'm happy to give them resources for both sides of the issue so that they can empower themselves and make make their own decisions.
1: Well, well let, let me ask you if what do you think? Where do you think you would be if? You know, you had this cauda equina syndrome in the PCOS and you had your, your, your you know, your surgery, emergency surgery, and you did not change your nutrition. You just kept eating the standard, you know, food pyramid diet. Where do you think you'd be today?
2: To be honest, I don't think I would have the recovery that I had today. Uh, there are many patients that have had similar um, disc herniation and similar time surgery, similar symptoms that have not had the recovery that I've had. So I've been searching the literature, searching among the experts and trying to understand why I had the recovery I had versus other patients that are not having this recovery. I truly believe it had to do with the regimen that I had instituted, um, which was my nutrition, number one, which was a huge factor because I was feeding my body the raw materials that it needed to heal itself. I was doing restorative sleep. I was correcting muscle imbalances. I used my physical therapist and I, we use the protocols from Dr. Stuart McGill, who is a a back expert for functional training. So that's what I implement to this day because I train every single day. It's part of my medicine. It's part of my back maintenance, um, informing that muscle fusion to keep my lumbar spine stable so I never have another disc herniation again. So also the mindset component of the visualization of my nerves regenerating and just keeping myself in that positive mindset and visualizing my recovery. So all of that combined, I think is the reason that I've had the recovery that I've had, but definitely I, it may sound controversial and I'm not afraid to be controversial, but I believe, you know, the ketogenic and carnivore diet played a huge role in getting back my motor and sensory function after this.
0: I think too, like to go back to the pharmaceutical question thing. That really the interesting thing to me with your whole story is it. It's like the pharmaceutical. I don't want to say pharmaceutical approach because it's such a multi dimensional approach. But that aspect of it was done right. Like you used it when you were in a position where you you kind of had to. Like you know the amount of pain that you must have been in. And some points of that it's like unquestionable to ask you know someone <laughs> to go through that like without any any type of support. Uh, but you looked at it more as, okay, here's a tool I'm going to need to get through this phase of the recovery process. And then once I get to that next phase, then I'll start weaning myself off it and ultimately get to an approach that is uh, pharmaceutical free. And I think, uh, if, if that's the way that things were put together and in the process that was taken, we wouldn't have as big of an issue. But unfortunately there seems to be like kind of these polarizing opinions with it, where it's like pro-pharmaceutical. This is something that we need. This is an advancement. This is a permanent thing versus the other side that is like, there's no use for this stuff. This stuff is horrible. It's ruining us. (laughs) And uh, your experience is kind of like a nice middle ground with that.
2: Yes. I think a lot of patients are interested in a natural approach, but they're just not aware of what the options are uh, that are out there, which is why I think all of the N equals one stories that are being put out there on Instagram and, and people that are sharing their individual health journeys. I, I think it's very valuable for people in finding resources and finding a starting point to figure this out. Um, as far as medication, some people choose you know, that they would prefer to be on medication and live their lifestyles and, and that's what they choose for their life. But for patients that are looking for alternatives, I think the education that's coming out now, not only for providers, uh, but for the general population regarding the ketogenic and carnivore diet uh, patients are realizing that there are other options out there
1: yeah that's I mean I mean that's a good message I think um, so when Paul Saladino and I get our clinic going out here in West Coast you're going to come out here and be our pharmacist but we're gonna be prescribing ribeyes. so you're gonna have to yes. you're <laughs> gonna have to uh, <laughs> have a little ribeye dispensary behind you or something like that that'd be fun wouldn't it
2: Yes and and I believe that like I'm not anti medication I believe that there are a lot of life-saving medications out there and and patients do need you know medications to manage some of, some conditions um you know so i'm not anti-medication at all i believe that there is a role and i believe that there's a right medication for right condition for right patient but also to use it functionally for the shortest amount of time as possible find the root cause of what's causing a, a patient's illness and, and correct it at the root cause
1: yeah i mean amend to that i mean yeah there are certainly some good medications that have, that have made a big difference but at the same time we we have a uh, society that's dependent upon those chronically for the rest of their life and i think that's Sometimes a model that they want, you know, just stay on yeah. this medicine the rest of your life and you're, you're, you're guaranteed, you know, a guaranteed customer for the rest of your life. Nevada, so you've been um, doing some stuff. I know you just launched a podcast with Chris, Chris Donahue, another uh, carnivore person we've had on the show. Chris has had this tremendous 220-pound weight loss and, like you, has had just a tremendous health uh you know transformation is incredible and such a good advocate and so tell us what you have up your sleeve what's going on with you where people can find you um and that sort of stuff and then all all that all that kind of goodness that Zach usually tells people to tell people
2: Sure. So my main platform is is on Instagram, and my goal is to create one of the most robust patient resource sites uh, with all of uh, providers and n equals one stories, just connecting people and connecting people with resources, especially for rare, rare conditions, which I've been working on and hoping to have up and running um, in the next month or so. It's been a labor of love. Uh, Chris and I also started a project called the Mind Body Breakthroughs. So we have a free uh, Facebook group. And It's heavily focused on mindset and because we feel that the mindset component is often absent um, in how do you have a breakthrough for a health transformation. Where do you start. How do you overcome barriers. How do you find quality information. uh, To go about and just applying it in your life. So we have a free private group that we help uh, try to find uh, resources for patients and also give them also it's a mindset tips as far as you know manifesting your best life and um working towards a goal every single day Um, and you know just taking the micro steps to start changing your life because most people are so overwhelmed they don't know uh where to start with that and uh we're hoping to be up and running with our podcast in the next week week and a half we're working on all the software and aligning all of that and we'd like to have on guests to speak um, to their mindset, uh, so that's why we're very interested in having you and Zach on to speak about your mindset. For how how did you go about uh, becoming a cha- world champion rower? What, what went into that? Um, you know how do you how do you handle adversity and turn adversity into a positive versus um, you know going down the rabbit hole of despair? Uh, so that's that's what we're uh, hoping to bring to the table and, and offer for people and and help people in that aspect.
1: I don't know about Zach, but, uh, delving into my mind might be scary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mine could be depending on what point of the hundred mile race you dive into it. (laughs) But no, it'd be a, it'd be, uh, our pleasure to come on and, and share some of that stuff. I think that's one of the most intriguing things that I hope people take away from your journey is that mindset part of it. And, uh, I think if there's one clear thing that came out from that, it was, you kept positive, you kept focused, you didn't you know, think self defeating thoughts. I'm sure you had self defeating thoughts, but you recognized them and clearly redirected when you needed to, and and because of it, and a host of other things, you found yourself where you are today.
2: Yeah, I just kept myself, you know, as positive as possible. So when I was, you know, going for my walks some activity, I was listening to podcasts with people that had beat the odds and. Listening to their strategies and and things that they implemented. So I constantly had positivity flowing in my life. I kept my circle very small Uh, when I was going through this. I had my mom around me um, and also my dad who we actually lost to a massive heart attack a year after um, my surgery, uh, we lost him suddenly. Uh, But my parents are a huge support uh, to me when I was going through that uh, with positivity and, you know, just telling me you can do this, uh, which is basically what I needed to hear every day um, with somebody to say, you can do this Nevada.
1: Just one. And I should have brought this up earlier, but just on on that, thing with your mom? Cause your mom went carnivore or is, She did. Is, and she'd lost a lot of weight and stuff as well, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes. My mom and my mom and I, I was around the time, I believe you were on Joe Rogan. My mom, as part of um, dealing with her grief of losing my dad, she decided to grow this garden and the garden was loaded with nightshades and we actually refer it to as the summer of nightshades uh, because I was in keto maintenance at that point. So I started eating, you know, more vegetables from her garden. Cause I thought, Oh, this is, you know, all natural. We both ended up having massive back flares, um, and just felt absolutely terrible. And that's when I happened to hear a lecture with Georgia Ede about the neurotoxicity of nightshades. And then, uh, we saw you on Joe Rogan and that kind of, uh, tied everything together for us. And my mom decided she wants to do the carnivore diet too. And she is in the the best shape of her life. She works with a functional strength trainer. Sean, she has a bicep. You are the whole reason. She is on Instagram. She follows everything that you put out with the carnivore diet. Uh, she's very well versed in all the topics. She's a steak and eggs girl. Uh, and with all of the nose to tail information now, she started to add in some fish and we're very excited to get her bone density results because she's had osteoporosis her whole entire life. She's going uh, for her test, I believe in a week and a half. So be very curious to see what her results are from that.
1: Well, yay mom and tell her, tell her hello from me. I that's yeah. wonderful to hear Zach. we got to meet back in 20 minutes to do Jay Wrigley. I'm going to go jump on a rowing machine. I'll probably be out of breath when I come back, but I'll see you in a little bit. Uh, uh, Nevada, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank
2: you so much. And Sean, I just want to say thank you so much for your role in my recovery and for doing what you do. Thank you. Well, I'm glad
1: I could help. I'm glad this craziness helps some people. Anyway, I look forward to meeting you in person soon, Nevada. Okay, Zach, I'll I'll see you right before we get ready for the next one. Perfect, and
0: thanks again for coming on, Nevada.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Zach. I appreciate it.
1: Hey folks, Human
0: Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.